Okay. Welcome everybody to Rounding the Earth. Wow, this has been a very eventful 16 minutes. Um, so thank you for everyone's patience. Um, to to uh, to quickly explain, we are part of the beta test for Local's new live streaming feature. And uh, for some reason, today it has given us some problems. Um, and now we've been jumping to a couple of different rooms. Um, we now find ourselves in the StreamYard webinar um, setup here. But it looks as though I accidentally gave out two different links. So I've got one, two, three, four, five people who have joined us in the backstage. And, um, oh, Tonica, oh, apparently it says error. You know, if this is true and the stream truly isn't working, we might actually be in some kind of crosshairs. But um, we do have some people in the back end, so I'm just going to go ahead and start now. I, I think I'm going to bring in I'm going to bring in Matthew. Hey, Matthew. Hey. Um, so okay, uh, they can see and hear us. So cool. this is all good. Well, welcome here, everybody. Uh, this is uh, sort of a special edition, and we're having a special trouble because of the beta testing um, between uh, uh, locals and <clears throat> they're they're doing new live streaming slash recording stuff and and we're trying out their their beta test here so we'll smash them on the head and give them a report and they'll fix it yes that's exactly right in fact we have a meeting with our account manager tomorrow so we'll be able to bring this up um but anyway so um i am very excited for uh the show tonight and i think in the um the way that we've uh described the show it's it should be self-evident that this is an important one and um, we're going to introduce somebody to the audience who uh, they may already be familiar with because of her work uh, authoring the Themis report. So is there anything you want to, uh, uh, there we go, on screen there. So do you want to introduce people to the Themis report first or to the author first? Yes. Um, and, you know, those who have been uh, coming to our live streams for uh, since the beginning uh, know that my first Chaos Agents report uh, was on Carolina Benita, and uh, the person that we're about to introduce did a whole lot of the background research uh, in something called the Themis Report, and more has been learned since. But uh, this was <clears throat> a report that that you know helped people understand that looking into what was going on behind the scenes uh, amongst the medical freedom movement was important, and I think it's important enough there's all all of a sudden there's this um strange sort of split where there's a discussion of uh fifth generation warfare and cognitive warfare at the same time there is a everybody needs to say unified or movements die and i think that that is because of uh you know uh, the interest in going a little bit deeper on who you know who is part of the leadership within the the medical freedom movement so i think this is extraordinarily important so um, now let's uh, let's bring in Kristen, uh, Kristen Elizabeth, who is the author of the Themis Report and also the subsequent Bonita Report and some other stuff. Hey, <laughs> Welcome, Kristen. Hi, Thanks Kristen. For Thank you for joining us. Yes, and uh, thank you for your patience as we jump around the rooms. Um, there's uh, all, all jokes about being in some kind of digital crosshairs aside. Uh, sometimes you do just have to jump through hoops to get to the really meaty, important stuff. So do you want to introduce yourself uh, to the audience to the extent that uh, you feel uh, they should know about you? <laughs> sure, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a teacher, and I'm an investigative researcher, 
and dabble also in, in journalism, but basically will do whatever I can to help uh, good causes around me. So found myself very busy over the last few years. And it's just, yeah, like all roads in my life have helped uh, shape me in such a way that this is the work I'm I'm doing and, and capable of doing. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> it's been very unique work. Uh, and I think unique because uh, I think everyone, you know, once we saw how harsh conditions were, I think everyone was looking for sources to trust. And so it's important for um, people also to be vetting those sources. Um, so, uh, you know, we're, we're going to let you go wherever you want with with this. Uh, if you're interested in talking about the Themis report or or going from there, I know that you've collected, you know, uh, from having talked to you a number of times, I know you've collected an enormous amount of evidence uh, about a number of people. And, you know, some of it's, it's more directly, um, it, it, some of it more directly implicates bad actors than others, but it's a lot of interesting research one way or another. Yeah. So just some, some background for clarity. Firstly, I would say that, uh, although the research is primarily mine and the impetus to create these reports, was mine. It's it's not actually totally accurate to say I'm the only author, because there really has been a whole team of people uh, helping with this work. So I just want to acknowledge that. Although I'm happy to take responsibility for it in the sense of the backlash that it gets. Um, so basically, I live in New York, and in 2019. Uh, New York lost the religious exemption uh, for childhood vaccinations for children to attend school. So this was before the pandemonium, and uh, that affected many, many people. The lowest number out there is like 20 something thousand families had their kids kicked out of school. And it really changed my life because I was quietly raising my kids, you know, how I was myself raised in a in alternative lifestyle fashion. And all of a sudden was uh, surrounded by a community made up of people whose children were, um, you know, on IEPs already needing a lot of assistance learning because they were autistic or had some kind of disability, were vaccine injured, um, and and also this rich fabric of religious communities in New York um, that came together to respond to this because uh, it's a religious right to opt out. And um, there was a lawsuit filed right away on the state level basically um, saying it was unconstitutional because it violated people's First Amendment rights, the right to religious freedom. And ultimately, it was a really exhausting series of months of like appeals and everyone going back to the Capitol and also really beautiful. Um, ultimately, the state <clears throat> ruled that when it came to public health, you could override the Constitution. And that's when myself and a lot of other people realized we were in some pretty 
big trouble because that's really the Achilles heel. So we were organizing in New York for a while before uh, the situation involving the lockdowns and everything occurred, kind of, kind of uh, expecting something like that, right? Seeing that we were headed in this some kind of direction, maybe didn't understand the severity or rap rapidity of that, but um, it was pretty predictable. And because we had already been organizing for a while, we had a network of, you know, communities in the state and organizers and activists across the state who were trusted allies. And uh, we had experience. There was a benchmark there as far as what it looks like to be in dialogue with people organizing against these kinds of things. So then uh, censorship started. A lot of organizing was happening on Facebook. And friends of mine from other places in New York and also within my own community uh, moved from Facebook to Telegram. There was this huge exodus to Telegram. That was the app that circulated as the safe, secure alternative. And that's really important because in the last three years, there's actually been a number of instances where there's an exodus of like 7 million people to Telegram in 24 hours. So millions of people moved to Telegram and uh, trusted ally friends, organizers in New York, you know, started on Telegram groups like Health Freedom for New York and stuff like that that were statewide. And I was in those groups. And so I was very familiar with what I would call normal groups right? Where the people in them are real people. They're engaged in real conversation uh, about what's going on and also what to do about it. And so then uh, through a series of events that I won't go into right now, someone brought to my attention that they were concerned about the worldwide USA group that is the Worldwide USA network of groups, one for every state, is really the primary focus of the Themis report. And because there's a group for every state on Telegram, someone wound up in the New York one and sent it along to me, um, basically wondering what was going on. So I went into this group and it was immediately clear that it was in what I would call an inorganic space. There were all these like bizarre red flags and the actual structure of the operation itself is a red flag because why in a you know matter of a few days could you possibly have an organic grassroots group crop up in every single state across the United States uh, in coordination with each other, called the same thing with the same branding, and then looking deeper into it, seeing that it's actually run by the same handful, three or four admins and moderators. And then um, I started really like digging deeper into each state and went back to the beginning, like noting when the group was created and saw 
really deceptive uh, tactics to confuse people, to lead them to believe that they were joining uh, and the authentic worldwide demonstration group for their state in the United States. And the worldwide demonstration movement was this international movement that uh, developed over the beginning of the pandemonium, um, born out of Germany by a couple that had a concept that was very horizontal. And it was that worldwide countries could sign on to have uh, to engage in a, a day of protest that took place every two or three months. And all you had to do was simply um, ask for a flyer to be made for your state or town or country or city or whatever it was. And then they would also promote your location and your flyer and you could send footage in afterwards of, of your protest. And then they would put together these really amazing comp compilations of uh, protests that took place at the same time around the world or the same day. So people thought that they were joining uh, the authentic version of worldwide demonstration in the United States in these spaces because um, the people running these fake spaces would use the real worldwide demonstration, demonstration branding for a period of time and then switch the branding. So they would like gain trust and then they would switch the branding. And then they would do all kinds of other uh, nefarious things. Um, they put, they manually put people in the groups. Also, people didn't choose to join them. They moved them into the groups. So I would see like comments from people often saying, how did I wind up in here? What is this? And, uh, and then, yeah, go ahead, Matthew. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to look for a way to try to frame this as a good group of people. Like, how do we know these are nefarious actors and not uh, a group of people trying to, I don't know, save the world sure. uh, and, and trying to organize such that they can uh, have some sort of control over building a community or making it functional? Sure. You know, what, what separates, uh, you know, good actors in a plan like this from bad actors? Sure. Um, very good question. Well, so... Okay, so the three main people running this network of groups across the United States were Harry and Gina and Carolina Bonita. Harry could barely speak proper English, so it became very clear that he wasn't actually an American in America, uh, and, and then he just admitted that. He said he was German, though I've seen him claim he's uh, English, and I actually think he resides elsewhere. And the second, Gina, said she was an expat living in England. So two of the three people running this operation weren't even in America, and one wasn't American. And maybe that's still fine, too. You know, they would say, like, we're trying to help you. We're trying to help you, like, get your, your uh, movement off the ground. But where it got really problematic for me was... Uh, deceptive tactics that were, um, they were aimed at undermining the legitimate worldwide demonstration, uh, 
protests that were being organized. So it became clear or it looked very likely to be the case that they were actually trying to um, to like break down the efforts within the legitimate worldwide demonstration community. And as I uh, networked within that community of organizers that were actually working with worldwide demonstration and organizing these things, then all manner of insane stories and tactics were conveyed to me. In fact, at one point we compiled uh, documents, we invited organizers from across the United States to put together their stories of what they had dealt with in their own states just from these people, including Carolina Bonita, who we'll get into more, um, because there's the online space and then there's in the in real life space. But the worst part of it, uh, early days worldwide USA, was the way that they talked to the people in the group. And there's just no good reason to talk to people like that if your concern is uh, for the betterment of humanity and you care about people. So they would say things like, uh, Harry, this guy who's not even a US citizen, doesn't live here, would say like, you call yourself a patriot? You know, get off the couch. You know, you're not a man, you're not a patriot. This baiting, shaming, um, threatening behavior threatening to shut the group down. You know, if Georgia doesn't take freedom seriously enough, fine, let the government pharmaceutical companies come in here and just blah, 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 because you guys won't get off your asses and do anything, you know. And then second warning, he would literally say like second warning and then a bunch of nasty stuff, third warning, or I'm shutting this group down. So that's when I was like, okay, there's something really, really problematic going on here. And uh, different states had different admins that worked under the three of them. They were also most often clearly problematic. And some states were worse than others. There was a worldwide demonstration, I believe it was in July, that um, everyone was organizing for. So the the worldwide USA groups that I'm describing, that are described in the Themis report, um, they would take the same date as worldwide demonstration, and they would try to get everyone to organize to go to their state capital. And for this particular event in July, maybe one week before, they started encouraging people to show up to the capitals armed with guns. And so that's that's really when I acted. I was like, this is crazy. This is entrapment. I don't know what they're trying to do, but it's obviously not organic. So that's where the whole journey began. Right. And this reminds me a little bit of January 6th. And, and I have to even wonder, is this sort of a, an attempt to create an artificial uh, appearance of a revolution? Right. And, and, and for what purpose would that work? You know, like, why is it that, you know, that somebody might want to create the artificial appearance? Is that so that uh, a, a crackdown can be justified? And one thing I'm going to point out here again that I've um, we've talked about it here is that Carolina Benita, who is really Patricia Rodriguez, that's her real name, um, 
<clears throat> seems to work closely with Lee Dundas. And, uh, you know, my, my biggest problem with Lee Dundas was finding out that she was at January 6th and that she was giving speeches in which she said things like, you know, we're, we're within our rights. I don't know how direct a quote this is, but we're within our rights to uh, take them back out and hang them and shoot them. Uh, you know, sounded like she was talking about the lawmakers. And, you know, that that's the, the closest thing. You know, if, if anybody there was fomenting violence, I think that's maybe the most violent thing that I heard, aside from an occasional shout here or there. Um, so, you know, when I see that and then I see, you know, 600 people arrested and still held to this day, and I see, um, you know, Lee Dundas not get arrested for what seems to be, you know, more dangerous activity. Um, and, you know, I, I just wonder, was there an attempt to create something that would make it appear like tens of millions of Americans were into armed rebellion when the truth is that a handful had been baited to capital? So, you know, this is very, very serious games being played, right? This is the kind of thing where you, you might be able to confuse an entire world of 8 billion people. You may, you may be able to make them think that people who have been drug along this way were part of an organic movement and that people were on the edge, on the border, when in truth, three people, maybe even located in three different countries, could play a, a tactical game through social media to try to make that happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Is it optics? You know, is it actually false flag stuff when it doesn't happen? But it's identifying that there's a potential setup taking place of some sort and then needing to, to mitigate that being successful. You know, I have a friend who mentioned to me it's kind of always stuck this old like Civil War generals tactic of kind of like get everyone to the same location, not even necessarily knowing what you're going to do once you get there, but you just need to kind of get everyone there. And it feels really often to me like that's everything's unfolding and it's just always trying to kind of set up the circumstances where, within which you could decide to do something, but you don't know what that is until you get there and you're successful. So I don't, I don't know exactly what was wanted, but it definitely wasn't good. And yeah. Well, and I'm wondering, so, and you and I just very briefly touched on, uh, I had done um, an episode of Rounding the News a couple of weeks ago where there was this story about these letter bombs that were being sent in Spain. And the, the, the whole tale being that there appeared to be this really like powerful urge to blame it on Russia, but more specifically, white supremacists which they seem like they're different um, ideas. And, and I'm more interested in focusing on the, on the white supremacist part um, because I've seen that. And as is being described here, and we mentioned January 6th, and we, there's all these things going on with Ukraine, all of these things, the more you look at them, they seem to be really kind of um, uh, awkwardly uh, painting a picture that doesn't really feel real, but I kind of, it looks to me like someone's trying to plant a narrative that could result in a crackdown on domestic populations, not even just domestic extremists. Cause what does that even mean? So I'm wondering, I'm wondering, is, is that something you're seeing 
beyond just the context? Like, like could you speak to that? Am, am I onto something there? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's really crazy. It's very, very interconnected. I think if um, people had a sense of the landscape, they'd be both horribly shocked and at the same time, hopefully feel very empowered <laughs> because so much resource and, and energy is going into trying to actually control the outcome within what I would call like a citizen, citizen-led grassroots space. Mm -hmm. um, and a big part of that is like generating and all and always kind of fomenting people further into um, extremes and trying to radicalize people, which is something, Matthew, I know you've talked about. And I really appreciate that because part of the problem is people don't realize they're being radicalized. That's a little bit the magic in the propaganda part of the problem. But it is like pushing people into extremes and we're increasingly less able to see what's shared um, with people. We find ourselves on the opposite side of something from. So with the, yeah, there's uh, very, very, very similar um, operations on social media, especially Telegram, where I do most of my research targeting uh, white people you know, using propaganda tactics that are similar, um, for example, showing statistics that are probably false. I have no idea talking about like um, black crime versus white crime, mm. taking examples of like immigrants in Europe doing violent, violent crimes towards white people and like really amplifying that and creating this narrative that like there's a white genocide, you're going to be killed if you don't. And that's the part that that matters the most. If you don't what? If you don't join our group today, get vetted, stand up for your people. Um, and there's all these like baiting. So there's signature. There's all these signatures in these operations that make it clear they're either run by people that are working from the same playbook or they actually link back to the same control center. There's really no other explanation because the language itself will be literally the same. So Carolina Bonita has this rebranded operation called Operation Take Back America. And one of the slogans is inaction is treason. So they use that all the time in their posts. Inaction is treason. And in a white nationalist group that, that I've been monitoring a telegram for a long time, and this is the article that I've been uh, working on for Gray Zone, is specifically looking at this network of, of groups called White Lives Matter on Telegram. They mm. have a slogan, which is inaction is racial treason. So you can actually identify patterns in the propaganda and not just in the slogans in how they speak, in the images they use, and especially in like the baiting and the attempt to radicalize you, you know? And this is a tactic that gangs employ, you know, gangs and cults. Uh, you know, do you, you want to prove yourself? Do you want membership? Do you want to be a crip? Uh, you know, uh, then you actually have to commit some sort of extreme act of violence uh, against somebody. <clears throat> um and so, you know, it doesn't surprise me that there is a, you know, an unknown and understood and manipulated uh, psychology of this. 
Um, now, I want to bring in one more piece. It's from uh, one of the early articles that I wrote when I started. Um, I, I came across, you know, somebody else writing about this and I realized, oh, this has to be part of the psychology of all this, which is action potential, you know, cutting off or you know, effective resistance. Um, that basically there, you know, there's evidence that shows when you're trying to time something like let's say you want to like press a button and stop that dot exactly at the top of the clock mm. that that in your brain there's an action potential building up and then you're going to press your finger right and so this is known and understood and that if if somehow somebody could provoke you to go too soon then you would lose your judgment and you could and if if many people uh if it takes many people to coordinate an action then uh, then you could cause people to act out in an uncoordinated way, right? So let's suppose that, that right now there are so many things going on that there is, you know, some group of people, whether it's the bankers, military, intelligence, whatever, deep state, call it what you will. But let's just say there's some group of people who know that there is potential for revolution and what they want is to cut off any action, it, you know, it cut off the, the early adopters of the movement, right? Make them move too soon, right? Um, you know, control when it is that they move somehow, and then possibly they could keep that from ever taking place. So I feel like, you know, that that may be part of it. Now, on the other hand, one one hypothesis that I have had is, what if you want to keep people from moving? until there are millions more, then what you might want to do is actually, you know, like put a lid on it, make people see that the early adopters are being put into prison, make sure that people see that the early adopters are the most radicalized people. And then later, once there are millions of people who are agitated, then push them all at once. So there, there's, you know, multiple different lines that I think this could play out once the game begins. So it's very hard to figure out, you know, who people are and what their motivations are within these groups. If that makes sense. Though the white life matters one, the gosh, you know, when, when all of that started, when I started to hear, you know, when I heard black lives matter, that sounded somewhat artificial to me. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a plausible slogan to come about in today's media world. But when life, when white life matters, uh, white lives matter uh, became sort of the counter thing that felt, I don't know, a step more artificial, let's say, like, and when I say artificial, I mean, I've lived in eight different states, you know, in five different regions of the country, if you want to call the Southwest a region. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm somebody who associates with all kinds of people. You know, I'll at least uh, step into to a bar wherever I am and play a game of pool or sit up at the, the bar at a restaurant when I'm traveling through and talk to people and meet people. I'm just curious, you know. Um, I just haven't come across this giant swath of, you know, racial purist Americans. And, we, you know, we have data. You know, when, when Pew Research, they publish data every year. They publish surveys. You know, how many people consider themselves a white supremacist? for instance, and these numbers have gone down and down and down and down over the years until about eight years ago, they hit around 2%. 
and they were um, it was equal between the Republican and Democratic parties and independents. I think, uh, if I recall correctly, um, it had been higher amongst the Democratic Party until it settled down at this very, very tiny low number. And so, it, you know, in in one sense, we know we can look at statistics and we can know fewer people than ever in the United States consider themselves white supremacists. And yet there's this movement that appears to be more and more radicalized. So yeah. it is what we're talking about, just the creation of an appearance. Well, it's, it's hard to say because, you know, what the CIA has done for a long time um, and it's just, you know, deploying its playbook is go into nations where there are certain cultures, identify the extreme tendency within that culture and then cultivate it and radicalize people, train paramilitary groups cause insurgencies and when you look at certain regions of the world it's i mean like the middle east syria ukraine eastern europe you can see within those cultures actually there is a tendency towards certain kinds of extremes and that's what's always leveraged the nationalism in eastern europe is some pretty serious stuff in the united states when you look at the united states it were like a harder nut to crack and uh, pretty disparate in a number of ways, but um, but also pretty knee-jerk when it comes to certain political, partisan, extreme things. And so it's this like tapestry of hot button issues that have really been leveraged. And it's hard to imagine like a front from either side that's coordinated to me because it just feels like we're breaking down altogether as a result of that. But so, you know, I've spent way too many hours in these like white nationalist spaces. And there are, of course, legitimate, like messed up people who, who think all kinds of messed up stuff. And then you see the kind of, this magic in the way information is presented to you invites you to go down that road intellectually. If you're not careful, you can really start feeling like a victim when you're not. And, and in, in marriage with everything that actually is going on in the world, anything's believable, right? Basically anything became believable in the last couple of years. So people are in these spaces there's a formula of like 80% truth, 20% radicalizing nonsense, or um, the sin of omission is a common tactic. Like these things with information and with propaganda, use of color um, and numbers, magic with numbers. Um, you probably would appreciate that, Matthew. Like just screwing with people's heads with statistics and making them feel like if they don't do something radical soon, uh, the world's going to end, they're going to die, their children are going to be in danger. So to, to actually assess, like, what does it mean to be a, a dyed-in-the-wool, like, white, racist, white nationalist, because I think those people do exist, versus, like, a confused, dis disillusioned, young white guy who gets sucked up because he has no community and no, you know, support or whatever. Um, and it's tragic. I mean, I think that that's part of the problem with censorship too, is like, if you censor 
things that are bad, you know, whatever that means. If you censor things, basically you're saying people are too stupid to handle making a decision for themselves, mm. but also you're cutting off the possibility that people can be de-radicalized too. So by making the argument that we need to be separated from each other, we can't also like talk people back out of a space where they've been manipulated. And that really matters um, to me. So yeah, um, the white nationalist stuff is really serious. It's very connected to Ukraine. Yeah, That's the purpose of my article is connecting these operations to Ukraine. And that's actually also been a pattern um, that I've seen in other spaces, including um, groups that cropped up around the convoy and Carolina Bonita's groups as well. And I'll give you one example, which is she was uh, known to be running Peter McCullough's social media for him on and off for quite a while. And so she managed or her team managed his Telegram account. He had been banned from Twitter. And I think this was like besides website, Substack, his primary social media. And he had at least 100,000 subscribers. And she was in charge of this channel. And just a few months ago, all kinds of wacky stuff started happening to the channel. And uh, it changed names a number of times. Um, there were claims it was hacked. It clearly was still in her control. And ultimately, <clears throat> she claimed that they needed to start a new channel for Peter McCullough, but kept the one running that had 100,000 subscribers. And then a few Is days later- Is this on Telegram? Yeah. And then a few oh, days wow. later, she changed the name. Listen, she hijacked his telegram. She changed it to Health Report TV and put out a statement saying, like, we've discussed this um, I don't, I, with advisors or some such nonsense. And now this is just going to be a general channel for health news. And she uses it alongside her medical censorship telegram channel. And they literally post the same things at the same time. So she hijacked his channel. Now, here's what matters. One of her main operatives, Renee Harrington, at one point dropped a link to that channel in a chat. And when I clicked on it, by accident, she dropped a link that brought me to like a, a root backdoor page that showed the, I believe, the account owner that was some unknown you know, account name handle. And then under that, it said like link changed from this to this. So it exposed an action that the, that had taken place and it was all in Ukrainian. So for people, yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a pattern. So you have what looks like very clearly looks like tech people in Eastern Europe running the tech side for operatives in the United States. Um, wow. I, I had a couple of thoughts I don't want to lose before we carry on. The first is the, the weaponization of this to conflate genuine dissidents and who's to decide what is genuine dissidents to begin with. But what you just described, like it's very easy to take, like you described the young white, 
male with no whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, you, the point is they all wind up being communicated about to the rest of the world, quote unquote, essentially as being the same dangerous group. That's what I've watched. I'm reading this book right now called The Storm is Upon Us. And it's about the Q, I don't know what to call it, the Q phenomenon, the QAnon uh, movement. And that's what this book does. It takes QAnon, which is one thing which I want to ask you about. And then it also describes people like us, people who think masks don't work or people who don't want to lose their parental supremacy over their, their child in a matter of law. And it's, it's not that there's not crossover, but what, they, what this book is an example of is what I see everywhere, which is the taking all of these things, which, are, which frankly are arbitrary, they fit someone's political convenience or inconvenience, and then put them in all, all in one basket. Okay, I want to ask about QAnon. I am... Actually, Liam, can I put a pin in that for just a moment? Absolutely. Um, just because I want to show, I just went to Telegram real quickly, and I had I had just for kicks. I try not to pay too much attention to Telegram because it's just it, it's just a flood and it's it's corrosive. But um, you know, the last time I had looked up Peter McCullough's name, I came up with six channels. <laughs> right here, I'm showing a. a, a, a snip and sketch that I just made with what looks like nine, but one of these people is, you know, Peter underscore McCullough is apparently Rose Liz <laughs> at the moment or something like that. Um, I hadn't seen that name before, but um, you know, one thing that I've noticed about these channels, you can see the one at the top says fake. And yet that was, I think that was the one that, that was sort of advertising itself as the real Peter McCullough channel. But just as Kristen said, um, people can be pulled into one of these groups and then it can be rebranded later. You know, you can pull some sort of a forced code switch, perhaps, on the conversation. And this is something that I think, Peter, people may not know what's going on. They may not know why. They may not even know that their name is suddenly associated with a radicalized channel or a commercial venture. You know, either one could be used that way. But I have to wonder, you know, how many of these are being run by the same people, the same small group of people. And even even in, in you know, channels that I was in where there were people I knew who were talking about this stuff, uh, it felt like very weird conversation. People would say, oh, this one is the real Peter McCullough channel. And I'm thinking like, you know, how do you know? Oh, I texted Peter and he said this one, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, you know, how do I even know that that? that happened or you know how do we know that he's he's not involved like it, it becomes very sketchy very quickly and i feel like this is a moment when we should sort of step back and say okay whoever whoever the leadership is like uh, there should be an understanding between them and us that if you have a social media account that's you Right. Like I, I feel like the, the moment people are set up to run social media accounts, the moment they are given the green light to use them as a stage and we can see it going on, we know that it's going on. Right. And, and maybe Peter McCullough does or maybe he doesn't know how his image is then being used. Right. Um, you know, the, the deceased uh, Zev Zelenko, his image is being used. 
um, within some of these channels in order to, you know, um, promote certain groups and, and faces and causes and, and, and associate their images together. And, you know, that, that bothers me a lot. <laughs> um, that's extremely cynical, but, um, I, I think that that's something that perhaps we need to get people to say as a community, you know, if, if you have a social media, you need to tell me that's you. Yeah. It's interesting. The, um, the list of, <coughs> excuse me, of uh, different accounts for McCullough. I'm actually, I've, I've spent less time paying attention to the doctor community and more time paying to the community that's more tangible to me, which is like the working class, <laughs> common American people. Um, but at a certain point, I was where I still am. I'm, I work with a couple of people who do run channels for certain people or organizations. They have really good resources uh, in terms of people who help develop bots to protect their spaces from spam and bots that are like actually custom made. Um, and they're they're great people. They're doing good work. They're they're on our side in that sense. And they're able to assess some of this stuff that I'm not as good at assessing. We watched the meltdown of this channel, um, Peter McCullough's main channel live. And we're like screenshotting and messaging back and forth like, whoa, this is crazy. And one of the things that happened was that taking screenshots became not an option in that channel, which is that's just an interesting thing to note that you can do, which means Telegram can actually access a function in my phone so that I can't photograph what's taking place in a channel. Nonetheless, you have nine different Peter McCullough channels. Most of those probably are spam bot run. Um, and if you go into them, you'll see like <clears throat> the stuff that maybe would have been in his real channel get forwarded or reposted right. mixed with crypto spam nonsense stop trying to get you to some of these QAnon spaces or like Trump card spaces or whatever kind of spam nonsense nonsense is going on on there. Um, so a lot of it would probably be bots. And then you have something that looks a little bit different when it's actually run by operatives, but they're also using bots. They're using really high levels of sophistication. In the case of Worldwide USA, they were able to use a bot to create a federation, what's called a federation, where if you got banned from one state, you were banned from the entire network and they could post to the entire network in an instant. So, I mean, in a way, Telegram is really kind of a weapon. And it's important that people understand that, not just because of the immense amount of data harvesting that is clearly going on in there, but because it can be used like that and it's used by all the paramilitary groups and military groups around the world. I'm in telegram groups in Pakistan, in like Malaysia, in uh, you know China, in definitely Ukraine and around that region, you have like you have it's just all propaganda, you know, pro-Ukraine generating this narrative, these stories with these images, with this footage anti-Ukraine, 
generating the same kind of stuff from the other side. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of articles that have already been written about the military's use of propaganda in that war. That's pretty easy to look up. And so it, one of the things that I worry about is that, uh, do you know what A-B testing is? So there, there's something that goes on within the big tech companies with, within the AI community where you show some people one advertisement and other people another one at random. And you see which advertisement creates more engagement, right? So you're figuring out what levers to pull to win people's hearts. You know, AB advertise, AB um, uh, uh, AB testing can be used as a as a very solid, well studied technique for fifth generation warfare. If what you have is multiple communities and they're all Peter McCullough, and you know, one day you decide to message one way in some of these communities and message another way in others, and you can see which ones get people to repost it more or which ones get people chattering more. And yeah. you can find out what it is you would want to pretend to be in order to gain the largest audience. Or you could possibly figure out what those people value if what you want to do is pull a code switch on them at some point in time. So I, I, I want people to understand that technique and to be thinking about that because I like if, if I were designing this, that's exactly what I would do. You know, once I once I, I found out about these multiple communities with the Peter McCullough's, that was the first thing that came to mind was, oh, that, you know, what a great opportunity to find out how it is you can know how your messaging affects people's, you know, energy and behaviors. It's market research 101. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. OK, I I uh, I want to ask you about QAnon mm -hmm. because. It's it's tremendously fascinating to me. And I came I'm I'm super new to this whole thing. QAnon itself, I realize, is a is a situation, a phenomenon, a name for a thing that has only existed for for a few years, coinciding with the presidency of Donald Trump. Now, Donald Trump himself, QAnon or not, is an enigma that I have yet to wrap my own mind around. Um but there appears to be this really uh, concerted effort to mold how people view this character of President Donald Trump in a way that feels an awful lot on both sides like everything else we've been talking about. Like I feel an operation playing at my brain. And part of me, I, I, I'm so fascinated by this because I think I fell for it, one. I, I think the way that I, from 2016 until two, 2000, late 2021, um, I feel like what I thought I knew about again the character of and i don't mean character like the man i mean the character like you're writing a fictional mm -hmm. version uh i guess it it, it it's not that it was a hundred percent false it's that it was i feel as though i had a version that was constructed for me to have and not everyone got that same thing but the point is QAnon is is an example of this entire thing that that built or was built that has a a narrative to it a conspiracy theory of everything 
um, that you would be very reasonable to take one look at and disavow anything it ever touched or just walk the other way. Problem is, it's also pretty correct narratively. It really seems to capture a lot of what we're going through as whatever you want to call it. If you want to describe it as, as the human race or as people waking up to realize that the world is not as it seems. So because of that, and that I'm not speaking on behalf of anyone other than myself, that's kind of how I see it. It's, it seems like I don't get it. I don't get it. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to a place where I feel like I have a more firm opinion of what it is, but I, I, I won't say anything more than that. I want to get your take. What is this QAnon thing? Hmm. Well, I think that it's a, it's a good opportunity to talk about the military because in a nutshell, the narrative that at least originally was there because QAnon's become its own whole mess now was that tr to trust the plan, the president is going to being Trump at the time, he's going to drain the swamp. He's going to get rid of these bad people that don't care about America, don't care about you and also engage in all kinds of really wacky practices and the military, the military is on your side. Okay. Mm. That's probably the most important part of the entire message is that the, and so you wait, you trust. If you listen to that, if you believe that message, it's, it's enough to simply spread the content that comes your way that furthers that narrative. That's as active as you need to be because you can simply trust that the military is going to show up. And I, it's understandable to me because they're your fellow Americans. And if you care about America, you can also access, you know, the hypothetical reasons why someone would join the military and feel somehow um, an affinity toward that, that you'll be protected by them. And I think there's lots of good people who are in, probably in the military. Oh, I would think the vast majority. Right, for the, for the right reasons. But just the, the narrative around the military, I think, is the most fascinating because on the one hand, I was just thinking about this the other day, the QAnon uh, narrative tells you to trust the military. They're in charge. That sort of deteriorated once Biden was put in office. Then everyone was waiting, like, is the military going to do something about this? And then <laughs> they didn't. And so I don't know what's going on with that anymore. But the other interesting thing that happened was in 2021, October of 2021, Biden signed the executive order uh, for all military members to get the vaccine or be dishonorably discharged. And right at the same time that he did that, and people knew he was going to, it was talked about in the press, this uh, individual, David DeGraw, materialized, who runs a website called pogsofcom.com, pogsof.com, and he has a substack under his name, David DeGraw. And he is some military guy, I can't remember, some top-tier military guy, maybe a vet now, I don't know. 
And he, it, that time was so intense. The fall of 2021 was really hyper intense. It was like, what is going to happen in the world? And he created um, his own social media space on his website. He created videos and articles um, encouraging active duty and veteran and other service members uh, in the United States to band together and prepare for basically a revolution. But the way he did it led to, mm, let me be really careful with how I say this. Um, he, <laughs> he invited people who were interested in that idea to join a space within which the conversation took place where he was in control of it. That's not to say that it didn't happen other places too. And the content that was created by Pogs of looked exactly like military psychological operation propaganda. In fact, some of the footage from one of the videos, I've literally seen the music from some of the footage in one of these videos I've seen also used in white lives matter videos. Mm. And basically at the time people were saying all over the place, it was like flooding the internet that, you know, whoever the boogeyman is most likely at the time it was like the CCP <laughs> was trying to weaken our military by uh, forcing the vaccine, it was going to like kill all these people or it was going to weaken their immune systems. It was going to make it so that our military was weakened so that a foreign nation could come in and just like take us out. Right. And that narrative went on for a while. Also, you see that with like the woke culture stuff, that the woke culture stuff is being injected into the military to undermine the strength of our country and the term that was circulating was debasing the brand, the American brand by doing these things. So a couple years previous, we had a narrative saying, trust the military, trust the plan, they're gonna save you. And then within like a year or two, you had in those same spaces, frankly, circulating a narrative that the military was like actively getting like cut down and weakened um, and we were going to be made vulnerable, then you had an injection of, of basically radicalizing and what I would consider propaganda come from this guy and it didn't, or his team. And then of course you don't have uh, a revolution and probably you don't want it to happen that way anyways, but nonetheless, in a way, <clears throat> um, yeah. So, and then just the, the, the way in which we try to understand what's going on with these controlled spaces and these individuals who are clearly chaos agents um, and have a tendency to go to the intelligence agencies firstly, but not actually to military intelligence. Um, and so that's also interesting that the military can be both the thing that's gonna save you totally being undermined by the CCP or whomever and weakened and now you're vulnerable um, and 
even if now that we're in the point in the movement where people are constantly throwing around the term controlled opposition, which is very predictable and can't tell who is a good person with a big ego and a theoretical disagreement and who is actually a paid you know, chaos agent, you have the military not, not present as a main player in um, these operations. And I think that probably it is. So that's what I think about QAnon. And besides that, I think it completely destroyed many, many people's minds. In fact, one of the articles on my Substack uses a screenshot from a QAnon propaganda uh, channel called like Dumbs, you know, an underground oh, right. military, whatever and whatever. And maybe those things exist. That's not the point. But, right. um, it, you know, it's like it's so over the top what's in this channel. You can barely survive like a minute of scrolling through. It's like uh, um, Galactic Federation's going to come save you mixed with like reptilians and mixed with yeah. like demons and mixed with satanic child you know, ritual abuse mixed with um, really messed up actual videos of like weird, like hydras crawling across the floor. Like who makes this stuff? Who's generating these CGI imaginations of tiny hydras crawling across the floor? That's Hollywood, probably. What? Hollywood, probably. And and, and how much of Hollywood really just is unofficially the DOD, you know, contractors thereof. We know that Hollywood is present on enormous numbers of films. And, uh, and, you know, I've been told that that um, on one of the U.S. military bases, I think I was told it was Fort Bragg, but maybe it was Fort Meade. that that they essentially have sort of a studio and and, uh, you know, like a film at like a. graphics editing studio that is like very far advanced like they have people um who are you know they they don't say that they're necessarily representing the military but there's a conference um called siggraph that uh people from uh, military intelligence attend every year and they recruit from this conference and these are the people who are making like you know the the you know the bleeding edge sort of you know graphic effect stuff in movies um you know, one of the things that I want to bring in real quick, just because it, it, I think it relates to everything we've talked about, is the concept of one screen, two films. Are you familiar with this, Kristen? I'm not sure. So it's the idea that you're showing everybody the same picture and the same information, but you already know ahead of time that it is sort of set up in a way that will split the audience. One one portion of the audience will interpret it one way, the other will interpret it another. And here may be a good example. Um, you know, W was known for making a few sort of gaff quotes, right? Uh, George W. Bush. And, and it was already known. It was already like, it, it was a set, it was part of the Republican playbook to at some point say something that was dumb so that Democrats would come in and attack it. You know, it makes you wonder who the news really works for, right? Like people always think that the news works for the Democrats, but, you know, it, I think it's more of a uniparty thing. Um, you know, but, the, you know, W saying, you know, fool me once, uh, you know, can't fool me again, you know, just the, whatever um, would be shown 10 billion times, right, over and over and over again. Um, and, and of course, the Republicans would go, oh, look, Democrats are so mean. And Democrats would go, oh, look, Republicans are so stupid. 
and everybody's biases would be satisfied. And it was a moment that you could probably uh, like take note, like actually see how people reacted. So you could do a little bit of data collection, but you have, you know, you can just play one thing and let, let everybody interpret it as they will. Um, maybe another example of this, uh, I saw the other day in a, in a group chat that I was in, uh, stats sort of, there was a discussion of the argument of, you know, do different races have particularly different IQs, you know, different, uh, set intelligence. And, you know, if, if you show it just according to, uh, income, um, then it appears that, um, you know, uh, like black Americans have much lower SAT scores than white Americans. But if, but Douglas Murray wrote a book a few years ago, um, called, uh, coming apart or something like that. I can't remember the exact uh, full title. Um, but he, he pointed out that if you also divide that up by whether or not there is a full nuclear family, all of a sudden the, the, the differences basically fade away that there's almost no difference. And so I think people, you know, very often don't take the step to take into account all of the different variables. And because of that, you're able to present, you know, honest statistics that two different groups will view in different ways. One will have their biases confirmed. The other will, you know, might even jump to saying statistics are racist. Right. <laughs> or, 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 you know, I, I don't know, you know, not many people know enough of the data and the statistics to be able to sort it out. Right. And, and almost nobody's coming in to do, to do that. But, um, you know, I, I see in a lot of this the ability to farm people into communities and then be able to have, you know, one one thing that plays on the screen. And if there's any deviation, you know, if um, if Biden's uh, talk where he had the red background and it was glowing and he looked like, you know, he was uh, raising Satan. The Crimson <laughs> Sermon. <laughs> um, you know, it, like like that is one. That it's very easy to see that you could have communities that would be really upset over this, see it, and and maybe it's planned imagery. In fact, I suspect that it is mm -hmm. it's imagery to make him look satanic and look like the Nazi Empire. Right? Mm -hmm. I'm not even saying that that's not necessarily true. I, I'm just saying that it, it's planned imagery. And if anyone in a group speaks out once you have tens of thousands of people in one of these channels if anybody has a nuanced opinion on that suddenly they're going to get attacked by the group because the group has been pre-sorted to be overly pure and and that sort of appearance of over purity makes it seem like they've come to a rational conclusion that only a rational person could come to as opposed to having been sorted to the group for having that opinion to begin with and that's something that I, that I think people are going to fail to notice trying to navigate all of this is that they are being pre-sorted and it's going to screw with their ability to um, question their own you know, beliefs, their values and their biases as they see information presented to them. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. That is the focus of um, my, my sub stack that I just started because at this point, it's like, look, we can we can write reports on these individuals. It's a little bit like whack-a-mole that it and even the Themis report was written specifically using that as an example of a set of tactics, encouraging people to um, try to learn what those tactics are so that they could identify the tactics. Because if it isn't Harry, Harry, Jean and Carolina, it's going to be other other people doing it. 
And what you're talking about is it's so critical, in my opinion, that people start to learn the difference between active and inactive engagement with media and what is working on them and in which way. Is it emotional? Um, are they just sponges and they're taking it in and they're clicking resend? So this, what you're describing is, is targeting confirmation biases. I can give you a really kind of interesting example, which is I run a listserv in my county and um, people share information in there. And someone sent a video to share with the community that wasn't itself a problem, but it was hosted on BitChute on a channel that had like explicitly anti-Semitic videos next to it. So one was like propaganda, just praising Hitler. It was just complete nonsense. And then another one had this like really disturbing caricature of a Jew. And the introduction was this guy like speaking in this really creepy voice about how like everything in the entire world who's, that's ever happened bad was done by the Jew. And I, and I, I knew no one in the listserv probably noticed that the channel itself was an issue. And they were all like kind of talking about how the video was good and how they wanted to share it with their friends who were kind of in the middle. And so I said, like, I'd be really careful sharing this because there's explicitly anti-Semitic content on that channel and expected the response I immediately got, which was like, are you calling me anti-Semitic? That's just been weaponized and you're just trying to censor us. And I'm like the moderator of this space. So I get called uh, really quickly by like encouraging people to just be more careful <laughs> with information. Immediately they'll say I'm censoring when I'm not. And, and what happened was this back and forth, this nonsense back and forth, that's a perfect example of this confirmation bias, which is that when you agree with the content and you want to share it with people, you will rapidly defend that content to the extent that you will actually rapidly defend things you don't believe are defensible. Right. So in order for me to get people to just like shut up and look at what I was talking about, I had to go through this like tidal wave of resistance and say, no, I'm not calling you anti-Semitic. I'm pointing out that you're going to be sharing content that is if you don't pay closer attention. And so this is really the problem is that people can't think and they're not in engaging in any way objectively with content. And that's where the radicalizing is happening because we need a name for this. We need a name for this so that this right here can be communicated well. Right. Like there, there's something about this. Like, is there a description of a person like, you know, imagine that uh, that um, you, you needed a plumber and you call the plumber and the plumber came over. Yeah, you know, maybe you called three plumbers. The first two just failed. They were just awful. And so you're desperate when you get to the third and the third comes and he's so professional and he's so competent and he does the job really well. And he's got this giant Hitler tattoo on his shoulder. And and, and it's even like Hitler, like eating a kitten. Or something. I mean, just really just, you know, like as over the top as you can get. Right. Um, there, there's this automatic implied sort of code switch in the character themselves. 
And and this is something like maybe we can come up with a name for that character, like, you know, like Paul Plummer or something like that, right? Like it, this is a Paul Plummer switch. <laughs> or, you know, and, and I don't know, like, I, I I don't know if that's the the right way to do it, but we need something for, for people to identify this moment right here. If that became a meme, if that became an urban, you know, dictionary term or mm -hmm. whatever it is that we come up with so that people can say, this is that. And then once people have understood what that is, then they'll go, oh yeah, you're right. You know, or maybe maybe we can find this content on an, in another place or be able to port it somehow or simply remake it ourselves, right? Yeah. Somehow people have to develop a toolbox. It's, I mean, honestly, I think we're like doomed if, if they don't, because the level of information manipulation. So just even in the, in the Dave DeGraw video that I was talking about, which by the way, is like four and a half hours long. Um, at one point toward the end, there's a flood of images of the different pogs seals, which is just interesting. And then, um, there's a bunch of kind of meme warfare feeling stuff that happens. And there's an image of uh, a, a, an individual with an anonymous mask, mm. a Guy Fox mask, holding a sign that says, wake up. And above it, it says psychographic segmentation of the population in order to micro target people based on confirmation biases. There's actually two and in a way, it feels like I speculate that that's a signature, that they ended that um, that little video with, actually. And if you look that up, you get a lot of indication of the complexity with which uh, what was targeting people for financial reasons has now turned into targeting people for socio-political control in general. And that is, um, that is really, really, it's, it's, it's at least amplifying the radicalization that may be taking place anyways, and further segmenting everyone into their tin cans. I could, go ahead. Could you repeat what that you're blowing my mind? What was that phrase you just said? I didn't get it totally right. It's psychographic segmentation. Okay. Uh, and micro targeting individuals based on confirmation biases. Micro targeting. And this, yeah, wow. And so you're saying that's real. Like that is that is yeah. sort of an admission of what's being done. Yeah. Psycho, absolutely. Just look up psychographic segmentation. It's all over the place. It's, um, it's demographics, but instead of what you think of when you think of demographics, psychographics are your values, your uh, religious uh, leanings, the, maybe the culture of your home, your community, um, the things that compel you to make choices. And the obsession seems to be around decision-making. Mm. So if you look at the definition of information warfare, psychological 
warfare and now cognitive warfare alongside each other. Cognitive warfare is particularly interested in permanently shaping your mind. And there's a focus on what compels you to make decisions. Um, and yeah, this science, so the social science of psychographic segmentation and micro-targeting people, I mean, the aim, I doubt they can do it, is to be able to um, micro-target the individual, each individual, have enough data to do that with the support of highly sophisticated AI. So, so much content that people engage with is operating out of this targeting, micro-targeting you based on your confirmation bias. And, you know, Matthew, you, you know full well with like some of the documentaries that have come out and all this stuff, it's, it, that is what it's doing. So we, we just let us, we like just fall right into something. We're like, I knew it. I knew right. it was killing this many people. And like, and, and I was, I've been trying to tell people and no one will believe me. And then here's this thing. And it says, but then it also says this other stuff. Yeah. And the other stuff isn't true, but you just accept, you trust it. Unearned trust. It, okay, I, well, okay. A couple of things. I wanted to show an example. It, so there's um, up here in Canada, I, I work with the Canadian COVID care Alliance. And one of the hats I've worn is uh, is research uh, into conflicts of interest and more mostly attempting to understand and document and quantify what happened here in Canada. Um, and uh, this is work that I've done as well uh, for the Campfire Wiki that we run. Um, uh, and and the, one of the first groups I looked at was this Ontario COVID-19 science advisory table. Now you may be thinking, okay, well, they've got probably people who are going to be biased. Uh, they're, they're probably vaccinologists who have been paid by Pfizer. And look, that's all true. But you know what I found the most interesting about this group, which uh, has only recently been replaced, is they have a whole behavioral science working group. And if you read what it says here, let's see. Um, so the behavioral science working group is a group of behavioral science experts and public health leaders who summarize behavioral science evidence in the context of COVID-19 and identify actionable guidance for Ontario's pandemic response. Behavioral science experts were selected based on their specific ex expertise in behavior change, spanning behavioral medicine, health, clinical and social psychology, behavioral economics and implementation science. Public health leaders were invited based on their expertise in promoting health protective behaviors and vaccination. And what I found shocking was how honest that was. Mm -hmm. Is That's what we're talking about, right? This is, it seems to me, one version, you know, one implementation group of some of what you're discussing. Am I right? Or are we dealing with something at an entirely different level? Well... I think it's a bit layered. Um, researching vaccine hesitancy um, and vaccine uptake. So mm. what would remedy vaccine hesitancy in various communities around the world has been going on for many, many years. Um, I did a lot of research back in 2017 and 18 because my mind was blown uh, with the amount of money and resources that especially these like global 
entities were pouring into trying to figure out how to like crack the hard nuts in these weird disparate communities or groups um, like immigrant populations. They did a lot of studies on the Roma community, stuff like the Amish. Um, mm. And and so the behavioral sciences and the social sciences has um, ballooned massively in our world in general as a um, as as a leading science with regards to how to control people in general, how that's expressed within the pharmaceutical, um, the crossover between the pharmaceutical companies and the government and the military isn't totally clear to me. We know about the nudging techniques, obviously. Um, BioNTech just purchased uh, probably six weeks ago. I think it was, I don't want to get this wrong. Will you guys look it up? They purchased yep. InstaDeep, I want to say for like $480 million, which is an AI that they claim is going to streamline their company's operations. But if you, I'm going to, I'm going to do a Substack article on InstaDeep because it's crazy. If you go and you research InstaDeep on its own website and you watch the video and stuff, it's all about predictive behavior modeling and stuff like, I mean, it's not all about, but it's one of the main reasons they've clearly purchased it. So yeah, there's a lot of this social science behavioral stuff going on there too. The military specifically- yeah. What an ordinary thing for a drug manufacturer to be doing. I'm yeah. so uncomfortable right now. I know, I know, sorry, Liam. Sorry. No, we'll have to have well, chocolate afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's such a good idea. Um, <laughs> well, but this is the thing. This discomfort, I've experienced it a few times with Matthew when he goes on this, uh, like when he began his chaos agent stuff. I sent him a message saying, man, I don't know if you should do this. And it, it was back when Stu Peters was the uh, the, the, yeah. the person being criticized. Um, yeah. and, and my thinking at the time was, the, actually, and now I feel like an idiot because Matthew has, has pointed out num a number of times uh, that this is sort of a dumb thought, but this is going to divide the community. That really was where my mind was at. And, and I think it's a naive but earnest place I was coming from. Um, yeah, so then, social, social pressure is often is usually a healthy thing. Yes. Right. People people give you social pressure not to do dumb stuff. Yes. Mostly. And so, you know, uh, like most of the time when you feel that social pressure, it's because you're, you're going someplace you shouldn't go. Right. But when when research. Right. Or, or when when, you know, displaying yeah. honest facts is is the source is the, the thing that's being pressured. That's when you have to stand back and go, wait a minute. The, yeah. What's the, going the, on here? There's yeah. Political, there's a political something at play. And so that same discomfort that I felt then is what I'm feeling now, but it's a good one. That's what I've come to learn. And, and there's an element of having to um, be ready to pivot, not just in terms of your understanding, like a, a sort of a scientific process of learning, which we've all, I think we're getting better at uh, as people like me. Um, but there's also the emotional part. If you, like you said, you have a documentary, like I'll say died suddenly come out. As you say, it seems to confirm everything. It gives you like a victory lap. You get to say, see, I told you so. 
and you get like truly like so here's another thing watch the water now, I, I, that that was the prior documentary that came out. And look, I, I don't know where people are at with that. It's the, the situation has changed at the time. I was so taken by it uh, the, the night I watched it and I cried. It was an oh, emotional yeah. experience. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I started to read the many, many, you know, scientific uh, arguments against some of the things being said. And I'll say. I think some developments have come in the meantime, but the point is the emotional manipulation that can be used that you then have to be ready to overcome. So this discomfort, I think, is a sign of, oh, I'm in an area where I should be wary. I should be thinking about what I'm taking in, not just taking it in passively. That's my point. Yeah, it confirms what I was saying before, which is passive engagement versus in uh, uh, active engagement. So I went to film school for like a year. And ever since I was in film school, I couldn't watch a movie without thinking about how it was being made. I couldn't fall into the storyline and get like swept off and lose my sense of self and just get like pulled from one thing emotionally to the next. I'm thinking like, how'd they get that shot? And oh, that's interesting. The guy's standing there. And I think that's, that's kind of what people need to develop more of in relationship to media content in general is to not let it like usurp your emotions, but rather ob observe and study it with some space in between and then take some time to digest it and, and ask yourself like, what is it working on in me? What is it wanting me to think or feel or do? Do I feel free? Do I feel manipulated right now? Like actually be able to observe that process that takes, that takes place. Right. Because the fact that that isn't taking place is what's being used against people. And in New York, everyone's worried, well, been worried about this quarantine camp bill. I'm sure you've heard about it. And I just feel like, well, they're, they don't need to make quarantine camps and haul people off because they're like quarantine camping people's minds. Yeah. You know, and so you don't need physical imprisonment if you can actually make people so predictable and so manipulated, you can just swing them one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. The quarantine camp situation, uh, it, it almost makes me think in in the event that the quarantining of the mind stops working, it helps to have a backup. But um, we it, it's it. That is one of those topics that uh, you you'd think would fall into the category of the like, it sounds too crazy to to be real that there are these plans uh in the legal system or physical facilities until you find out uh, it's, it's certainly written into, at least here in Canada, um, provincial legislation. Uh, 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 it, it is in our books. It's on our books that yeah, it's, uh, it's real in New York too. I didn't yeah. mean to suggest it's not, I'm just pointing out there's a different kind of oh, imprisonment. No. Absolutely. And if you pull that off, you don't need to haul people anywhere. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But you do, but it, it is, possibly worth mentioning the idea of using fear like sometimes i hear stories like like a quarantine camp uh or a, a they sound like something even more intense to me um 
and you wonder, okay, if someone is, is let's, let's consider this could be a fear tactic for the purpose of striking fear as opposed to the building of a camp to then put bodies. Who then is trying to scare me? Is it someone scaring me into action or is it someone scaring me into being docile? And I think fear, I think that's why fear um, is probably never a good thing to do if you're a good person, right? Like fear probably is mostly a bad idea to try to invoke because there's a difference between fear and um, like inspiration, which maybe can accomplish the same thing. I don't know. I don't know. Well, fear, fear is a good system to reaction to have sure. situations that involve, involve danger. But then you need to like whatever it is that you discover during a moment of fear, you need to meditate on it and then change, you know, whatever you conclude, whatever you learn, you need to change it to system one thinking. And then suddenly you're prepared. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. So Matthew, we don't have a whole lot of time left. Is there anything that you were hoping we would discuss? Oh, well, I wanted to let you go anywhere that you wanted to go, but I know that you have done um, research into AFLDS, and I don't. I don't feel like I, I. feel like I have a better handle on that situation than most people do. You know, I do have. Um, you know, I don't know four or five pages of notes on Simone Gold and AFLDS. Um, I do have some opinions, not all of which I've said out loud. I've been sort of watching things go on, but. Um, I'm, I'm curious as to what you found looking into that situation. Yeah. So I know I mentioned that I wanted to talk about it, but it almost seems better to save that for a different, um, do you want to come back in a couple of weeks and we can both sort of, uh, uh, yeah. uh you know, I, I can, uh, shore up my notes and maybe, uh, make a few slides that'll help too. Um, and maybe I'll, I'll have, uh, you know, stronger opinions by then, but, uh, uh, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say this um, right now. My my opinion stands at that it's de designed bonanza, and I just want to point out to people that the biggest thing that AFLDS did over the last couple of years that would have been something that I would have gotten behind. In fact, I retweeted this. They said they wanted to create a new hospital network, and many millions of dollars poured in, and then suddenly you have. Uh, an organization with this major infighting battle, and you even have a judge saying this battle threatens the future of the organization, right? You, you even have almost like, like court approval for this dispute to threaten the organization. So what happens to all that money, right? Is there somebody or some several people, is this a design dispute? And that doesn't even necessarily mean that everyone involved has to know, but you know, is it a way to just be able to to fold up shop, take the money and walk away? Yeah. So now I want to say something about it, <laughs> which is I actually talked to an employee from America's Frontline Doctors today. Um, so it would be better to go deeper into it at another point. But the two things that I find unconscionable and I, I did, I have done a lot of research into their telegram operations were run by uh, some of the same people running Harry and Gina and Carolina's they're all this, it's all connected. 
um, is that at a certain point in the main America's Frontline channel online, which had 118,000 subscribers, maybe, all of these people had paid for their telemedicine service, which at the time was um, the service that they were offering. They could, you could talk on the phone with a doctor, and this was constantly promoted. And someone from America's Frontline Doctors would call you and assess your situation, and then you could get access to ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, both of which they had obviously promoted very heavily. And what happened was that like hundreds, if not thousands of people were flooding their main channel saying it was terrible. It was one of the most terrible points for me in the entire last three years saying like, I'm worried about my husband. He's really sick. Um, I've, I've paid for the service. I've called three times. No one's called me back. I was told I would be sent this in the mail. It's been three weeks. I haven't gotten it. I fear for this loved one's life. I'm worried about myself. And, and so in all of everything that's happened, I, I personally now know someone that had that experience trusted what they were offering to the American people, so many people gave their money and so many people were afraid and um, didn't, didn't know where else to go. So as what I do is I watch how information moves online and everyone was sending everyone to America's Frontline Doctors for help and they failed. They totally failed and screwed over so many people. And I don't think anyone's ever said a word about it. So the country is filled with people who figured out that there was a problem that way. The other thing I'll say is that America's Frontline Doctors media team, which is Frontline News now, and other elements of America's Frontline Doctors is run by a team in Israel. And they're the people actually running this organization in the United States. They're not even denying it. Um, so they changed, I think Renette Seenum um, broke that story. And on the heels of her writing a Substack article about it, they changed the name and the URL of America's Frontline News to Frontline News. And <laughs> they got rid of the America. And if you go to the bottom of America's Frontline Doctors homepage, at the very bottom, and this all this media is created targeting like the patriot conservative American. Okay, keep that in mind. And all myriad number of political issues that would appeal to the conservative American. And uh, at the bottom of the website, there's a big picture of a, of a bald eagle. And it says, how much does your freedom mean to you? And then you have like five options of donations you can give to a bunch of people in Israel that are generating media content and no one admitted that either. So yeah, it's not, it's just, I, I'm like, I'm just this little person over here trying to live my life. I, I think that the barometer that's most important is, are you a good person? Are you deceiving people? Are you trying to make money off of people? Are you honest? Do you care? 
Um, those are the ways I assess whether I want you in my circle or not. And so it's easy for me in these situations to say, this is absolutely not okay. If I were a globalist mastermind, what I would want to do is continually set up fake shops for people on the other side to come in and spend their money to, to bait them in and go, you know, this is the organization I'm going to send, you know, $50 or $500 or whatever it is that they can um, <clears throat> afford to, to try to have somebody else change the world on their behalf. Right. And, and that's part of the key is, is you have sort of an, um, uh, an, an asymmetric relationship, uh, a parasocial financial relationship. And if, if what you can do is control people's biases or, um, you know, uh, if you understand their confirmation biases, if you understand what symbols to use and what language to use, then, um, then it, you know, I would think it wouldn't even be hard to set up operations like this, especially if what you have is advanced notice. You know, if, yeah. if the pandemonium is coming and you're the people who know, then you have the chance to have all this set up ahead of time. And, you know, this is what makes me give pause. And it makes me give pause about anyone in the medical freedom, you know, movement leadership who says, no, we just shouldn't criticize, right? We need to, to stand together in unity or something like that. Mm, no, we, we need to figure this out. We need to sort that out. We need for people not to have their money sucked away by shysters, right? Um, and 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 to have their names put on email you know on, on these enormous email lists that are you know a million or millions at a time because that's the hundred flowers campaign that's the threat is that those lists are used to make enemies lists and it is an existential threat it's an existential crisis and i know people you know want to find somebody who will help them but you know the fact of the matter is everybody's got to help them themselves to you know as much as they can not that there's nobody out there who can do anything for them you know there's, there's plenty of good people out there but you know got to help yourself first and you've got to be aware of the games that are being played um so why don't we cut things right there Kristen? you know we can talk about you coming back in two weeks or three weeks or four weeks or whenever it is uh you want and, and we can continue with aflds or other topics and, yeah sounds good I just wanted to say one quick thing, which is that because um, I've gotten a lot of criticism from uh, certain individuals about this work, I just want to say that I've never gotten paid to do it. Um, and I've spent thousands and thousands of hours of my time voluntarily working on behalf of this movement. Many, 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 many people know that. Um, and Malone had absolutely nothing to do with my work. I think the Themis report was, was published before Malone was even, uh, around and known. So just to make that clear, because those are some of the issues people have had. And if people want to criticize it, they should ask folks that are in the reports to actually address the accusations in the reports, not just continually say it's anonymous. That's a problem. Now it's not. So if there's going to be criticism, it should be to, to, to what's actually said in the reports. Yeah. On Twitter, uh, Carolina Benita says that um, that that report was uh, bought and paid for by the intelligence agencies. <laughs> well, I am the intelligence agency for the good guys. How's that? <laughs> the intelligence agency in Kristen's house. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for doing that work and thank you for joining us. Yeah, um, thanks for having and, me. And talking about all of this and, uh, you know, uh, like, honestly, just feel free to reach out to us when it is you want to have a conversation about these topics, because, I mean, this is crucial. People, um, we need to come up with ways to educate people about these things, you know, whether it's the Paul Plummer idea or whatever, but we do need to think that through. Um, things have to be simplified for people. Memes need to be made. There's an educational element that will need to take place. And just to share what what people are, people have very much appreciated you coming here, Kristen. Tonica says this has been a remarkable conversation. If we're in a midst of a war, so glad to have you in our trenches. And it certainly is at least an information war. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. Um, and you have launched Beyond the Maze, which is your Substack. Am I uh, am I correct? Yeah, come come find me there. It'll be fun. Um, you have some stuff that's that's coming soon. Um, what are you? What what's the plan for this space? I have uh, some content actually already on there. I have three main categories. One I call origins, which is like the science behind the crisis. So the social sciences, the cognitive warfare, innovation hub report, this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, what the psychopaths are cooking up. And then the next one is called manifestations and it's uh, examples of those things and how they manifest in real life. There's Carolina Bonita. That one's called the baleful Miss Bonita. And then the third is um, imaginations because I think that there are certain ways we can find antidotes, especially in creative and artistic circles. So there's like a little myth in there and a poem and a conversation ahead with a child. So there's just kind of a mix of things. You can come check it out. That is absolutely awesome. I've already subscribed and uh, I look forward to uh, binging everything that's up there so far. Um, as Matthew said, you are welcome back anytime. And uh, I've got a lot to think about. I don't know about everybody else. Um, but let's wrap it up there. Thank you again to everybody who uh, managed to tune in tonight. Thank you for uh, bearing with us through our beta testing technical difficulties. Um, but I would say it was well worth the effort. And um, we really appreciate all of the dialogue that you guys always bring here on the Locals chat. Um, you really make these Locals exclusives uh, something special. So thank you again, and we will see you very soon. Mm -hmm.